0: Hi everyone, I'm Danny, the owner of Prime Over Fitness in Sheffield, and welcome to our podcast. At Prime Over Fitness, we have a holistic approach to training. We deliver fitness, yoga, rehabilitation, and mindset training. Over the next few weeks and months, our guests will include fitness professionals, sports people, well-being experts, and much, much more. Hi everyone, Uh, I'm here today with uh, my old pal Aaron. He's um, I served with him in the Coldstream Guards. We just found out actually talking in the uh, uh, just before we came on that he left the army the same year as me. So we've been out, out of the army about the same time since nineteen ninety six. Um, he's progressed onto loads of things. Um, he's just uh, books just come out. Uh, never really over. Uh, and we're going to get onto that later on in the podcast. Uh, hi Aaron, things, pal?
1: Things are great. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's really nice to be here.
0: Oh, great, great. So so just tell us a little bit about um, why you joined the Army, uh, wh- where you, I mean, you do mention it in the book, um, but just a little bit of background on yourself.
1: Yeah, I uh, from Leeds originally. Um, I don't come from a particularly uh, military background. Well, not military background at all. I mean, like most people of my our generation, you know, I had um, grandparents who served in the war, but I wasn't really exposed to um, the military, particularly as a child. Um, I just kind of instinctively knew there was an organisation where where men went off to fight. I kind of wanted to join the army before I really knew what the, the army was. So, um, yeah, when I was a kid, uh, when most people had posters of um, football teams on the walls, I had... Posters that I'd scrounged from the local careers office of uh, self-loading rifles and regimental, um, regimental um, posters and things like that. So, yeah, joined up at, at 17 and um, that, was, that was the start of my career, really.
0: My mother uh, used to think. well, um, it was around that time, I think, when we joined, there was adverts on the TV, uh, join the army and win,
1: Join the professionals. Join
0: the professionals and win, Yeah. Um, yeah. Little did we know that it was joined the professionals and clean
1: the earth. Yeah, yeah. I remember the advert, and there was, there was one, I think looking back, it must have been dated, it probably was a Challenger tank. There was a guy looking very, um, very dapper, sticking out of a, of a Challenger. And then there was one of, it was obviously infantry, and he was doing kind of a night stalking. And then it would flash across to guys, you know, um, windsurfing and doing other, you know, adventure, adventure pursuits. Um,
0: I mean, we did do yeah. a bit of that, didn't we? I mean, you... you, you oh, did yeah. Sort of stuff. We did a lot of, you know, like uh, climbing and canoeing and uh, abseiling and, you know, some people used to call it forced enjoyment. But, you know, so we did do quite a lot of that, didn't we?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think like the army... Is, is, you know, you, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but you get out of it what you put in. And, you know, uh, my mum and I played battalion, uh, a bit battalion rugby, um, but sk- uh, skydiving was my particular sport. Yeah. I did my skydiving course when, when we were in, when the battalion was so based usually, in Cyprus. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I went back and then um, I kept that up and I went back and did another course and then I let it go for a bit. But then when I, uh, my last posting, I, I actually worked on um, as part of the staff. Bad Lip Springer at the at the um, Army Parachute School there. So yeah, it's uh, there is opportunities for um, for doing that kind of thing in the army. But you know, like you say, it's I think they paint a a much more glamorous picture than it is. Um, But but still, regardless, you know, I would not change. Well, maybe one or two days I'd change, but on the whole, I had a a fantastic time, and I, I certainly don't regret. A day of it, you know, there's, 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 friends, there's guys that I met in the army that I could call up now and have done, you know I said, I, you know, I need to no, We
0: wouldn't be talking now, would we?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly you know, I, I, I've had calls from guys who have been, you know have, having some trouble or, you know um, feeling really low and, you know yeah. kind of suffering a little bit from you know, depression or, or whatever, and you know, just picked up the phone and said, "Yeah, this is how I'm feeling." And you know, yeah. we've had a chat and we've kind of joked around and we talked about the old days and kind of, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a brotherhood that, that ties tight and ties for you know the rest of your life. I think.
0: Yeah. So you, you saw active service in Northern Ireland. I was there at the same time. We were both in Besbrook Mill, weren't we? You mentioned this in the book as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah,
1: you know, obviously, so active service in the coldest place on earth Bosnia. Oh man, man! You know, people always ask about that. You know, when I, I talk about it, and I yeah, the first thing I think is the is the cold. Because I mean, we were I, I was in we was in the yeah. company that I was with, and we were inside a um, an old um, engineering factory. I think it was that had you know been quite quite badly damaged in the in the um, in the bombings. And, and it was just so. In. Yeah, oh, no, no. We were just on the when we were there. We were just in kind of. We were just given like a space. I remember on the first day when the platoon walked in, it was just a, a space, and we we kind of, you know, huddled bits of of furniture that we scrounged together. But I remember them taking the temperature on Christmas Day inside the building. I mean, obviously we had kind of big blow heaters and various areas, but it was minus twenty. Minus 20 inside the building. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's massive extremes as well. So in the summertime, it's like mid 30s, isn't
1: it? It was, yeah. I've got, I've got like people look at the photo, you know, if I show people photographs of Bosnia, they're like, how long were you we out there? Because there's pictures and it's literally waist deep snow. Yeah. And I'm wearing this huge padded black, all in one furry suit to keep me alive, not just keep me warm, to keep me alive. <laughs> yeah. And then there's other pictures and I'm sat there and I've got a T-shirt and it's clearly scorching off. And the weirdest thing with the climate I found there, I don't know whether it's just a freak of kind of geography, but it seemed that it was freezing cold and then there was no spring or anything like that. It's just, you just got up next day, the sun had come out, the snow was melting and by three o'clock, You were stripping all this cold weather gear off and trying to find some block.
0: Yeah, that's 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 that is that it must be that part of the world is like uh, everybody I spoke to about Bosnia and those trips is like exactly the same. It's like one street, one thing or the other. So, yeah, after after you left the army, you moved on to you went to uni to do uh
1: therapy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I um, I mean, I. I did various jobs, in, you know, I mean, obviously skydiving was a, a big thing, and but wasn't going to, you know, pay the bills. Um, and I spent most of my time, as you know, as in in recce. Yeah. Um, so, for those who don't know, recce is kind of a, a, a one of the platoons in a battalion, and kind yeah. of it, they they kind of do reconnaissance work. So again, not terribly uh, useful. So that, I kind of sat down and I decided that I was going to move on, and I, I looked at you know what my skill set was, and I realised it was quite poor. Um, and I thought, well, what am I interested in? And I'd, I'd always enjoyed sport, so okay, sport. And one of the things I did, I did a number of uh, kind of advanced first aid and medic training, the sport medic, and that came up with physiotherapy. So I yeah. I, um, I left and I did my first degree in physio, and then I did a master's degree in clinical research, um, which. Uh, it was a lot of work, but did it, and then I set up my own practice um, in the north of England. Right. So, yeah, yeah specialising in sports injuries.
0: When I left, I looked around and go like, "Well, what am I good at? What you know?" And obviously, yeah. I did my first PTI course in 1989 at Aldershot when we were in Cyprus. <laughs> actually, I got posted back for for I can't remember how long it was. It was it was brutal, but. Um, I look around and yeah, I remember you
1: taking company PT. Again, I, get... I remember you taking company PT and yeah. thrashing around. Them.
0: Yeah, I still thrash people around, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought, what am I good at? Let's. Well, I can thrash squaddies around. They thrash cities around. So yeah, I started my on boot camp and stuff. So when I look round and my... I mean, crawling around in Northern Ireland or Bosnia is not really setting you up, is it, for the outside world? You know. It maybe gives you the tools to be resilient and strong and understand that things aren't given to you on a plate and all that, and gives you all that. But actual tangible skills, you know, so you have to do something that you know, don't you? Or learn something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. It doesn't give you anything that you can put on a CV that's going to turn a lot of heads in um, in in a job application, for sure. I think the fact that you... You you do have a military background. I think will give us an employer a certain measure or potential employer gives a certain measure of what kind of person to expect. I think on the whole, but that's um, that's yeah. about it. So what um, did you do but,
0: after? So what do you do after this is your therapy?
1: Right. So I was living um, in Grimsby. I had my own practice and um, my. Uh, I do kind of go into a little bit more in the book, but my marriage broke down and I wanted to move back down to London. And um, I didn't want to go back into the NHS as a physio. Um, and I knew that setting up a practice in London um, would be financially almost impossible. And i had done it for sort of, I, I, I kind of zig and zag through life, you know, and I kind of, if I get, I've got very low, low tolerance for boredom, I think. Um, and I, would, I need a new challenge. And if I haven't got that, then I, I start to go a little bit stir-crazy. So um, I, I looked into medical sales. <clears throat> so um, I started applying for jobs in medical sales. And, and this will terrify some of your listeners, I'm absolutely sure. But when you go into an operating theatre, they've got the surgeon who's a very capable, and clever lady or gentleman. But what you've also got in there if they're using any kind of equipment or using an implant is they have a medical sales rep and i used to work for the johnson and johnson's hip and knee division right. um, so i used to sell hip and knee replacements i was part of the team that sold hip and knee replacements. Yeah. and what i would do is i was basically technical support for the surgeon right. and for the theater team so if they were doing um and, and hip or knee replacement it comes in parts for the implant and it comes in, there's quite a lot of quite complicated um, um, equipment and um, devices that are used to, to, to put an implant in. So I would go along and kind of stand in the corner and with a laser pointer with all these trays of equipment. <clears throat> so I would watch the surgeon who was just doing the operation and I would preempt which piece of equipment he would want next. So I would have like sort of 10, 15 trays of, right. it looked like Meccano, and I would stand there and I would say, Right, okay, he's going to need this next. And the scrub nurse would be stood next to him, passing his equipment, and go, Right, one of those. And I'd point the laser pen down at a piece of equipment and go, Right, get that, get one of those, and screw that onto there. He's going to need that in a minute. And then the yeah. surgeon would go, uh, Can I have these, please? And he'd put his hand out, and then hopefully well, that's, that's that, that would go serious, in. Serious, it? Yeah, but then if there was an, an inexperienced surgeon, I would have to go and kind of give him some guidance. So, yeah. yeah in the operating theatres there's somebody like me sometimes a little bit and sometimes quite a lot actually advising the surgeon what oh, to do. Gosh. Sleep tight listeners, sleep tight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, so is it so when did you sort of world almost fall apart then?
1: Yeah. Um, I was living i would not. i moved. Been moved. I moved to Essex. I was living in East London, and I met a girl. And I moved in, We moved into East London. Uh, moved from East London to Essex to, to live with her. And it was a uh, you know a balmy summer's day. And uh, the next door neighbours. Um, apple tree kind of was hanging over our garden, so I, I, I was cutting it down and kind of, as you do, scraping all the bits and pieces up and tidying the garden up. And I, I got the, sl- I mean, I'm, when I'm talking tiny, I mean it was, it looked like a, an insect bite. It was that cold, not small, mm-hmm. on the back of my hand. And uh, we'd finished summer evening, sat there, opened a glass of wine, getting the last bit of the summer sun, and I just had kind of a little red blotch on the back of my hand. I was kind of. You know, men, we love a bit of a scratch, don't we? So I'm sat there, and I'm going a scratch on the back of my hand, and Karen turned around. She said, "Leave that alone. You're going to make it sore." And she's, it looks a little bit angry, and I looked at it, and it it looked like you know, like I'd scratched myself, and it it just got a little bit inflamed. We all love
0: that, don't we?
1: Yeah, all and, and always, I, don't we? Yeah, and I thought, you know, natural immune system, I'll be absolutely fine. That you know, nothing to worry about, and we went to bed. And um, I got up for a pee in the middle of the night and switched on the bathroom light and I looked down and my arm was probably about 25% bigger than it should be from the elbow down yeah. to the wrist. I it mean, I like, shoot, I
0: but... like uh, the bit in the book where, y- you know, you sort of, well, I mean, we don't want to tell it all, but when you wake uh, your missus up and she's up straight away, Is that she's not like yeah. drowsy, she's up straight away, isn't she? Like. Right. Yeah, I
1: was like giving a little bit of a shake. How does this does this look bad to you? And she's like, alarm <laughs> bells. I mean, I would had I not woken her up I would because at this point it wasn't hurting it was completely asymptomatic. It just looks so kind of if you imagine from kind of the back of your 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 knuckles, so your elbow, it, it was just just looks being swollen and a little bit red, but there was no symptoms, no pain. And you know, without well Spoiler alert, I do survive. Um, but had I gone back to bed, Karen would have woken up next to me dead without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So we went to, to accident emergency. And um, yeah, with um, within a sort of fairly short space of time, the asymptomatic arm became very symptomatic. Yeah. I didn't think it was humanly... I mean, I've broken my... Right, okay, I'll go through broken bones. I've broken my nose three times, my cheekbone, my skull, my bones in my right hand twice, bones in my left hand once, bones in my left hand, left foot once, bones in my right foot once, fracture dislocation, left ankle, crush fracture, L2, and more ribs than I can remember. So I've, 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 I'm no stranger to a little bit of discomfort. You know, I've, I've, I understand the effects of pain and, and how it feels, but I did not comprehend it was humanly possible to feel the pain that I felt. And it came out of nowhere. It was just whoosh down my arm. And man, I just broke out and sweat. And I, I literally passed out. I'd lost count the amount of times that I, that I passed out because surely because of the pain, my body just shut down and went, Right, mate. You've had enough of this. We're gonna go, we're gonna close you down for a few minutes to to regroup. Yeah, and I passed out, and then I woke up and go, no, nope, still hurting.
0: Yeah, I mean, because when you go, obviously you you go to Amy and then there's a sort of lack of it. It feels like there's a there's a lack yeah, of yeah, absolutely. But obviously, there's obviously a new to more urgent than the, and sometimes when you go to an A and E, you you feel like there's a lack of urgency because there's so many they've got so many people to deal with, haven't they? So. Yeah, they are. They are kind
1: of they are overwhelmed, and um, I think I and mean, everybody who's an accident and emergency feels they need to be an accident and emergency. And the whole, you know. People who go there, they're not really that ill. I mean, I don't. I I think I find it difficult to blame them really because I, I don't think people are really educated on this is a problem that's accident and emergency. This is a problem that you yeah. Go to yeah, TV. yeah.
0: So Sorry. so I mean, we won't tell it all the book because it's no. you know, people need to get out there and get it. And hopefully. But, so what what it comes all around to is. Uh, the, the situation that after the operation and the all the others uh, just so just to explain a little bit of what happened
1: you know yeah so i um when i was um when I was um, um, in Accident and Emergency, um, before, the last time I passed out, the last thing I heard was crash theatres, crash theatres, which nobody wants to hear before.
0: Really? <laughs> <laughs> at any
1: point. Because that, that means the stuff's got real at this point, haven't they, when they say yeah. crash theatres. So, yeah, and, and then I, was, I, I went out, and I was then catapulted into a simultaneously horrific yet... Ultra realistic series of terrifying, I, I don't call them nightmares because that suggests a, a link to dreams. That it, they were experiences because the, the, the reality and the, the, how vivid they are were as real yeah. as the room your science. If you look around your room, that's the amount of detail that I saw in these horror uh, episodes, I suppose. And they went on from one to the other. And also, and this this I later would find out is a thing called intensive care psychosis. Yeah. Intensive care psychosis isn't terribly uncommon. I mean, depending which bit of research you read, anything between sort of 40 and 60% of people who are put into an induced coma will experience some degree of it during their coma. And interestingly, after, you can still hallucinate and delusions after, and I did. Um, so a lot of people will experience this, um, and it's a combination of the medication, the, the fact that with me, you know, my, I didn't have blood, I had poison flowing around the system, yeah. the environment, um, the depth that they have to sedate you to. Um, I mean, the, the 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 it was that terrifying for me that the medication that they they give you to keep you sedated, they usually give you an adult. My weight and, and age, they would give me ten units, but it was that terrifying. They had to use thirty-four units, wow. and I was still fighting the nurses. Right, but that's how horrific it was. So yeah, I mean, and that. So I, I won't go into um, the the detail of these uh, nightmares. Um, A because I can't guarantee the age of the people who are going to listen to this podcast. And B, it would spoil the surprise of the book. But suffice to say, they were as terrifying as, as humanly possible to, yeah. to, to imagine. And um, when I came out of my coma, um, they didn't stop. They continued. And I, as, I, as I said, I later found out that it was a condition called intensive care psychosis. And
0: Which which was diagnosed, wasn't it, by, a, a, was it a young nurse?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, youngest, the, most, the youngest, youngest so the most... So nobody really
0: said anything to you about it, and then a young nurse has obviously read about it. She, she's just come out of uh, training, and it's part yeah. of the, uh, tr- her training, but she's diagnosed it, am I
1: right? Yeah, yeah, well, it's actually him, but, yeah, your point is correct, in that he did literally, it was his first job, and they'd it, been qualified for less than a month. Wow. Um, and he'd read something when he was in training, and they, they hadn't been taught about training. I mean, when I was a physiotherapist, I'd worked in intensive care units and I'd never heard of it. Mm. And the staff there were oblivious to what I was going through. And, I, you know, I am, you know, I, I describe the ITU nurses as the SAS of the nursing yeah. profession. They were amazing. Yeah, you know they've had four cases of the bacteria that I was was contaminated with is necrotizing fasciitis, which is more commonly known as the flesh-eating superbug. And they've had they've had four cases of it at the hospital, and all of them have died. I was the only one at the hospital that had it and and, and lived. All the nurses that I spoke, doctors, nurses that I spoke, said that you know nine out of ten times a person will die, and the other seven said we'll lose the limb where they had it. So. They looked after wow. me amazingly. I had six operations, some of them saved my life, and then the others saved my arm. So I will be eternally grateful for them. But they but no one understood the the kind of the psychological
0: yeah.
1: fallout of, of being at such a deep, deep, deep level of sedation for a period so, of time.
0: So, how many people do you think are uh, going into comas for various reasons? Coming out of intensive care not knowing that this is a thing and out there. Well, exactly. Alive.
1: And that, that's the thing. I mean, originally, I started writing down my experience more as kind of as therapy, I think. And, yeah. you know, somebody said it would be cathartic if you wrote down, you know, your, your, your nightmares. Yeah. So I did. I started writing it down. And, you know, and then somebody, I, I let one or two family members read it. And, you know, somebody said that that would make it, that's the makings of a book. Yeah, And I thought I bummed and about it. And I thought, you know, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But, you know, to your point, Danny, you know, then COVID happened and I started seeing, you know, on TV, all these people who are going to find themselves in intensive care and are going to be in a medically induced coma. And I thought, no one knows about this. This is a mental health time bomb that is going to go off yeah. at some point in the future. And I was lucky I was diagnosed early because they happened to have, and it, it wasn't even regular intensive care. It was a bank nurse earning some extra cash <laughs> with some extra shifts. I was lucky I was diagnosed. And I was also lucky that because I was ex-military, I was fast-tracked to therapy right. within, within you know weeks. Now, I then was signposted to a number of, facebook pages and support groups for people with intensive care psychosis and its follow-on condition which is post-intensive care syndrome it's the similar sort of thing but it's kind of the fallout that you feel afterwards kind of emotional yeah. psychological and physical impacts of being intensive care and that you know i i'd read dozens and dozens, dozens of stories that were just as horrific as mine and people who had not had effective treatment yeah. And I thought there's going to be a huge number of people just on the back of COVID who are going to find themselves waking up in an intensive care yeah. unit after being in intensive care And the, some of the stuff that got me through it, you know, like my, you know, my, she's now my wife, you know, she was there, luckily, she, I mean, she's a teacher, fortunately, I had the good uh, sense to fall ill during summer recess, so she could be there um, pretty much all the time. But, you know, if you don't even have that, you know, you're waking up and there's these people around you are effectively dressed like spacemen. Yeah. And when you, you know, you're already hallucinating at normal yeah. around you, that would, God, the, the the thought of me waking up as I did and to see people dressed like aliens around me, that would have just, that would have been enough. So I, I know that I'm kind of long way around. What I'm saying is that I decided to write the book because I thought this needs to be be in the public domain. More people need to know about it. Yeah. We've got closed groups. If you're lucky enough to find your way to them, and they're, they're amazing. I was literally, before we had this conversation, I was um, sending a message to a guy who's found his way into one of the chat rooms from intensive care psychosis, describing his symptoms. And is saying, I think I've lost my mind.
0: <laughs>
1: and I'm writing, no, dude, yeah, perfectly normal. Everything yeah. you've done, I went through. Yeah. And yeah, I was lucky in that um, although a lot of my experiences, hallucinations and delusions, were related to things that I'd done and seen in the military, I also think that the kind of mental strength that you develop in the, in the army, I think that's one of the things that got me through it. And, you know, I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we came on air about kind of the power of positive thought and yeah. you know your attitude and how that is the y- your attitude is the rail track which your life runs on yeah
0: Thank
1: i'm you. gonna coin i'm gonna i'm gonna write that down, no, down, that down, that, down listeners Listeners, you and he's gonna read it so he said that <laughs> it, is the, it is the it is the rail track that your life runs on yeah. and i i once I started to get myself better, I went on a negativity fast. I wouldn't even watch films yeah. that I thought were, you know, even though they have been rated, I used to be a bit of a film buff. I even started being careful watching what I watched because I knew that my emotional defences were down yeah. and I had to be super positive. And what I've done is I've come through the other side of it a different person um, yeah, I've, I've changed massively as, as a as a human, so, and but in a good way.
0: So, so, uh, so, how's your arm now? How's your your health overall?
1: I've got some amazing scars,
0: <laughs>
1: and what well, the saying is, girls like scars and cars. I don't know if that's true, but I wear, I wear the the, the scar and it goes kind of from. I've got two on the back of my hand, and I've got one from my uh, back of my wrist up to my shoulder and one from the uh, kind of my wrist on the inside going up to to my armpit and I wear it with um, with a badge of pride it's like a medal it's a medal (laughs) that I got from going to I mean I've actually
0: seen the arm open that picture of of your arm open from the wrist I tell you what, it, it, it just it's obscene. <laughs> it I know it like know. like an arm, does it? It's obscene.
1: If anybody wants to see it, it's on it's actually on the book website. I've got some yeah. pictures on there, but it, it, it does have a, you know, don't be afraid to go to the website. It does have a graphic warning <laughs> um, thing on there. So you have to you can't stumble across it, you have to look for it. But yeah, and the interesting thing about that picture, people always look at it and go, oh my god, and try and hold the lunch down. But it's not until so you look at it a little bit carefully. And There's two things that are interesting. If you look at the surgeon's hands in, in the picture, yeah. my yeah. arm is clearly the size of a normal person's leg. It is yeah. that. Yeah, it's massive, that we, yeah. And then if you look at, and I'm sorry if anybody's eating while watching this, so you have a sensitive disposition, but if you look at the muscle tissue, so if you look at like a piece of beef you would get for some of those, and you, before it goes in the oven, and it, all the, the, the muscle fibers are all nice and straight and smooth. That's called striation in medical terms. Mine looks like, um, I don't know, what, what does it look like? It looks like somebody's put mud in a, in a slush puppy.
0: Yeah. That's,
1: that's how it looks. It's just <laughs> mottled and, and clearly, clearly not in, in good condition.
0: All right. So let's go, let's go back to the book then. Let's So, uh, Never really over. So that's your book that tells this, this story. Um, a little bit of background yes. yourself tells this story. And it's, uh, it's quite emotional and uh, exciting and not exciting and weird. There's all sorts of emotions go through. Um, and, I, and I would suggest anybody that's listening to this uh, podcast, talking to Aaron, to get on Amazon and get this book. So where else can they get
1: their book, Aaron? Yeah, if you go to my website, um, neverreallyover.co.uk um, or uh, there's a Never Really Over Facebook page. Or, yeah, if you put um, Never Really Over in Amazon um, and my name, it, it comes up. And I just want, you know, I, I, I know that you're... I, I just want to say that it, it's, it, it's, it's not an easy read. It does go to some dark places, but it is um so I'm told quite humorous in places yeah I I thought that yeah um and it does have an happy happy ending because I as you can tell I do live and um there is a wedding at the end of it um I I, I wanted it to I want because I'm so passionate about the subject of raising awareness I didn't want to write a medical textbook and I didn't want to write a book that would you know, that was just a series of the horrors. And I've honestly, you know, as, as horrible yeah. as some of the stories in there, I actually left a number of them out because yeah. they were, you know, I thought if I put that, it's just going to, yeah, it's going to give people nightmares. And it's bad enough that I've got, my, I had my own nightmares. So yeah, it is, you know, I, I, if you've had it, you know, if you know somebody has been in a car, you know, I, I wrote it because I wanted people who, um, initially with the idea of people who, um, been in a coma or because of covid that was my initial you know reason behind it but then i thought you know if i'm going to write this i want to write that's enjoyable and you know you you don't have to be you know personally or professionally connected to the subject matter i think to enjoy it you know it's uh i i'm told but you know and my friends have just been really polite but it's it's a good read yeah um and it's an interesting read but yeah, it's like uh, it the, is a roller coaster for the, sure the, the um the sort of humor the
0: the, the squatty dark humor a little bit through through adversity that you know that rung a bell with me a little bit
1: um, yeah we didn't mention that earlier did we because you know with some things that you get from from um skill sets that you get from from service and i, I think you know that that kind of Humor and cheerfulness in the face of adversity
0: um,
1: is what, you know, a a lot of times, you know, you remember as much as me as, you know, when we were on operations um, that, you know, kept you going or when, you know, something terrible had happened and, you know, we lost a number of friends in the the time we were in. And, you know, it's that kind of cheerfulness in the face of, of what feel at the time, you know, a terrible situation or, amount of odds against you that, that actually get you through and I think that's one of the things that kind of got me through the whole or, or, ordeal really well, I, I mean I it is a tale that, of resilience you know, I tried to bring that in the book
0: it is oh, a yeah. tale of resilience isn't it
1: yes I absolutely mean, it is that's,
0: I mean for you to say that, that there's been four cases or, and you're the only one that survived yes it's a true story of resilience isn't it
1: yeah yeah you see what it is? I'm a northern, and it was in Essex. So the, the, these southern bacteria, these southern bacteria can't kill me. You see. Can't, can't, can't kill the northerners. That's it. Yeah, they could they could try, but they uh, yeah, they, they could do it. Right.
0: It's been awesome to catch up with Aaron. This has been great. Um, just tell us where they can.
1: Where they, is it? Uh, Never really Yep. Never and code.uk, uk. Never really over um, Aaron Welsh. Um, on Amazon, it's available on all pa- platforms. It's on, um, you know, it's on um, uh, Kindle and paperback. Um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy it if you get uh, the chance to read it. It's been uh, great okay. speaking to you again. That's That's it, now Take care, buddy. Great to
0: speak to you, mate. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. See you next time on the next podcast. See you in class.